Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I'm just putting together episode 40 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. Episode 40? Doesn't life begin at 40? I think it does. Who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Fiona Schultz. And what's her story? Well, it's about what she lost during her cancer treatment and how she now helps others gain some normality in their cancer journeys. That sounds really interesting. Is a porcupine involved this week? No, but do porcupines have toe hair? Yes, they do. Oh, that's interesting. The porcupine might want to listen then. Let's listen then. Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. And I'd like to take a moment just to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences, but also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. So please take care as you listen. So today I'm really happy to be chatting with Fiona Schultz. Fiona runs an amazing business called Microblading and More, helping people experience the joy of getting fabulous eyebrows again, especially when they've been lost through chemotherapy or an illness or condition. And her work has expanded to cover much more than eyebrows in recent years, which we'll hear about later in the episode, I'm sure. So Fiona had breast cancer herself back in 2005 when she was just 32 and at the time working in financial services. And it was through her own personal experience of losing her eyebrows that led her to retrain and help others. So welcome along, Fiona. Hello, thank you for having me on, Rachel. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And thank you for agreeing to come and and talk about your experience and and how it led you to be offering this, this really incredible service to other people. So shall we start at the beginning, um, perhaps telling us about your experience of of having cancer and the the impact and losses that brought about for you? Yeah, of course. Um, It was a bit of a strange start to to my diagnosis, to be honest. I wasn't sure what was going on. I didn't feel quite right. Um, And then I found my little little lump. It really was quite small. Um, So I went to my GP and the first thing was she took some bloods. So I went back to see her a week later and she told me I was going through an early menopause. So at 32, it was a little bit panic stations because I hadn't got children and I knew that I wanted children. Um, And so she sent me off to see fertility people and have some tests. And so, yeah, went off a couple of weeks and then she phoned me and she said, I'm really sorry. I misread your blood test results. You're not going through early menopause, but I think you've probably got cancer. So I was like, oh, (laughs) Okay, yeah. So it was kind of, I don't know, it's such a weird time because obviously I thought I was going to lose the fact I couldn't have any children and then it moved somewhat. I I don't know what I would prefer to be honest. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it was straight down the um, oncology route. So they rushed me through an appointment and within a couple of days I knew that I had grade four breast cancer Um, and it was in my lymph nodes as well and in my nipple so yeah there was um quite a lot of fear for me at that point um I'd always had long hair I've been quite shy I used to hide behind my hair and quite a large chest so the uh, boys at school and the girls always used to take the mick out of my uh, rather ample bosom so to be faced with losing both of my breasts and my hair was absolutely terrifying 
<laughs> right back at the beginning. Um, and, you know, I, I was I worked in finance, as you said. Um, I was contractor, so I didn't get paid if I didn't work. So I worked all the way through all of my treatment. Um, but to be honest, I think that kept me sane. I didn't have time to think about anything. I used to rock up at the hospital on the way back from my day job and then go home, have a nap and get on with the uh, things I need to do in the evening. That's yeah, it was, it was a crazy time, really crazy. And the whole time I didn't know what was going to happen because my tumour was so large and so fast growing. They didn't want to remove it then because they would have had to do a full mastectomy and they didn't want to do that because of my age. Um, so, yeah, I had eight sessions of chemo. So that's once every four weeks, I think it was. So that's yeah, quite a long time without knowing what was going on. So I really just put my head in the sand and, um, yeah, <laughs> I had quite a few drinks on the week where I felt I needed to. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's all a pattern as well. So off to work, I used to go and I had my chemo on a day where I could take, didn't need to take time off work. And, uh, yeah, it was a crazy year. Yeah. So did they, I mean, did they know, did your work colleagues know? Did you? Yeah, I wouldn't have told anyone if I didn't have to. Um, I think that's one of the worst things is having to tell your friends and your colleagues because every time you tell them you see someone's heart breaking, it's awful. Yeah. But I knew my hair was going to fall. It started to fall um, pretty quickly, to be honest. Um, and after the second round of chemo, I ended up in hospital because I was what they call neutropenic. Um, when the blood cells don't, I don't know if it's white or red. I should know, but I, I get told and it just goes. Um, but yeah, so I ended up in hospitals and then my hair was coming out like in handfuls at that point. So I had to tell people I wouldn't have got away with it. But they no, were brilliant. My work colleagues were, were fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. And I just said, don't treat me any different. I'm not any different. I'm just a bit bald. <laughs> so and maybe a little bit tired. But yeah, they were really supportive and really great. So yeah. yeah. So did you end up having to have surgery? Yes, I did. I had a, a lumpectomy and I had my lymph nodes all removed as well. Um, so, yeah, I was lucky, really. I didn't have to have the form of me that the lump disappeared completely. Um, so, yeah, really lucky. They put little wires in so they know where it used to be. So they take the tissue out. Right. Um, yeah. And were you able to retain your nipple as well? Yeah, I was. So I was quite lucky in that respect. Yeah. And then it was only in recent years I actually had um, an implant in that side. Because after I had my baby, it was, uh, yeah, very different, very different in size. So I had the, the reconstruction done at that point, but I still kept my nipples. So, Although I have to say, what I do now, I do get a little bit of boob envy, but we can move on to that. Absolutely. So what were the sort of apparent losses for you at the, at the time? Well, the things that I worried about was my hair and, and losing my boobs. Um, but I didn't realise that you'd lose friends. It was only, I had um, healthcare at home. I, it was a trial thing that people were doing. And my nurse was sitting there chatting one day and she said, um, how many female friends have you lost? I said, sorry? She's like, how many people have left you since your diagnosis? And then I started thinking about it. I thought, actually, I've not heard from a few people. So I started chasing those people up and messaging. Never heard from uh, two of them, completely never heard from them again. They just leave. And she said, it's so common with breast cancer diagnosis where... Um, a woman's friend would just walk away because they can't deal with it for their own reason. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was really hard. Yeah. Because yeah, I kept reaching out for many years of birthday and Christmas cards, and, but nothing, nothing back at all. But the one in particular had lost all of her female relatives from breast cancer. So she just disappeared. 
and she literally has disappeared to like the northern Hebrides somewhere. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very strange. Gosh, yeah that's hard isn't it and yeah. it's hard for you but it's also turning it around you've then got to sort of think also what you know what's going on for them to to yeah, absolutely to feel the need that you know that it, it's it's too much for them or whatever their fears are or whether it's it's triggering responses to experiences that they've had um, we've been friends for about six, seven years. We were neighbours, um, and she had two little girls, um, and she disappeared. And I rang her, and I said, what is going on? And she said, like, the girls have lost three mums from the school in the last two years. I don't want them to have to go through losing you. But I'm like, well, they've lost me anyway, because you've yeah. removed me from their life. So you've done what you didn't want to do. <laughs> Very strange. I, I couldn't quite yeah. I knew what she was doing and why she was doing it, but it didn't make any sense to me friendship up really we do speak if we bump into each other but it's a shame because it's quite a good friendship so, and the other one as well we used to do lots of things together but so I've never heard from her again mm. yeah, very strange but yeah it made me think a little bit then I hadn't even considered that when you know you just think people are rally around and, and be there for you but they're not. Yes. yeah and I guess it's the almost sort of the two extremes come out isn't it is that you know there would have been people who really rallied around and supported you but on the other end of the spectrum there were those that that couldn't and and walked away you get those as well that feel that they've got to send you a bunch of flowers every week which is yeah. really weird people you've not seen for ages and they just suddenly appear on the doorstep that was all very strange so that was the opposite of loss i gained a few people which is very strange but yeah interesting time so how did you cope with losing your hair Oh, I don't know if I did really. It was horrible. Um, well, I suppose in one way I was lucky because Kylie Minogue had been diagnosed probably about two months before me. So I was kind of following along behind her. Mm. Um, I did order a wig, but by the time the wig arrived, people had seen me without anyway. And it throws you into menopause. So you're so hot. And the last thing you want is a big, thick, wiry wig on your head. Yeah. I wore it yeah. out once. And, yeah. It, it wasn't nice. So I, I just cracked on. I had loads and loads of headscarves. My neighbour at the time, she worked for um, Laura Ashley. So she brought me home these beautiful scarves, but they were all silk. And at that time, they hadn't figured out about the little cotton cat. So they used to just slide off. <laughs> so I couldn't wear them. It <laughs> used to slide off my fluffy head. But, um, yeah, so I had lots of things like that. It was a bit of a, a statement, really. Everyone at work was like, oh, what colour are you going to wear today? You know, <laughs> always used to go with my outfit, obviously, and my fingernails when while they lasted. That's another thing. Lost, I lost fingernails, toenails, eyelashes, everything. Yeah, because everyone just sort of focuses in on the on the very obvious hair loss. And then you think, well, there's the other bits of hair, which, as you, you know, your eyebrows, your eyelashes. The only place that I, <laughs> I got hair, which I don't understand because I've never had hairy legs but I had hairy legs and I don't oh, really? get that makes no sense whatsoever and I was I just going to ask actually what's what struck me was, <laughs> um you know I, I may have got one or two hairs on my toes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, 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 still, they went as well did they <laughs> yeah apart from my legs and I'd, I'd never had hairy legs before yeah, it's really weird not having any hair anywhere even up your nose it all goes. Oh, yeah, of course. Hair knows, yeah. And then you have to then think about um your eyes because you lose your lashes and then they just water. 
your your eyelashes stop things going in and stop your eyes from watering. So my eyes got very, very sore sort of under, underneath. Um, and it's only when a colleague at work was going, well, why are you not putting Vaseline on them? Well, I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> she was like, oh, my mum always puts Vaseline on hers and that stops the water running out. So it's all a learning curve, really. But the fingernails, oh, yes. that was horrible. And I suppose there's so many elements of of things that that are happening at the time. You know, maybe it's it's almost too vast a, a topic to to just kind of have a guidebook that covers absolutely everything that you might need to might need to know. Although maybe that that's got better as the I years hope so. gone on. It was a long time ago, wasn't it? So it's seventeen years now, wasn't it? Um, so maybe it's not quite as severe, but I think. For the ladies I've seen that come through my clinic, yeah, they still lose anything in our toenails and brows, isn't it? It has to kill the cancer, so it's quite aggressive on the body. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't realise about the um, toenails and fingernails. It doesn't always happen, but they're here, aren't they? So, um, so it goes. I didn't think about it, and I was thinking, my nails just felt really funny. My fingers were a little bit numb on the ends. I think the blood supply stops at the ends of your fingers. Um, So, yeah, they just dropped off. Very strange. Mm. Very strange. But they're back. Everything's back. You see my hair. Yeah. Oh god. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've got a fabulous <laughs> head of hair there. <laughs> but that's about it. I think. Yeah. Um, and did it come back the same? Your hair. I used to have straight hair, and now it's really quite wavy, and yeah, I can't do anything with it. It's just a bit of a mess. <laughs> my husband had various lots of chemotherapy over the years. Maybe I had three certainly three different red light years apart and um and each time his hair came back differently oh really yeah and it was sort of almost quite interesting it was like oh I want you know wonder what it's how it's going to come back come back this time straight then curly and yeah, yeah. I think it's how it bends the hair follicles isn't it or damages them so my hairdresser was saying to me so she's a little grow through curly but then some people it goes the other way so. yeah and of course, there's so much that they can do now, can't they? Because they have the, the cooling caps. And did they yeah. have those when you? Yes, they did. But because it was in my lymph node, I just thought, no, I don't want to risk it being in my head. In my head anywhere, then it would be protected from the chemo. Um, and I didn't want that. And I knew my hair would thin anyway, even with the, with the cool caps. So I thought, I'll just go, go with it. And it in. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So at what point did you get the all clear? I mean, were you how long did you stay in financial services then? Um, I got the all clear probably about a year later. Well, I think it was about eleven months from the time I done my chemo, and then I had to have um radiotherapy. So that's another twelve weeks, I think. Then I went on to another drug called Herceptin because my cancer um had her too. Uh, it was her too sensitive, so I had a septin. That was eleven months again of intravenous. Um, but I think I've got the all clear. It must have been Christmas time, and they removed the lump, so that was quite nice. I came out of Christmas out of Christmas knowing that I was okay, and they've got it all. Preventative treatment after that changed career until until recently. Five years. I up like my uh, fundraising and bits and pieces towards breast cancer charities, mainly breast cancer now. But I, I didn't know what I wanted to do or how I could help anymore until I left work to have my baby. I mean, we tried, we had six IVF attempts and then I thought, you know what, can't keep travelling around the country. This clearly isn't working. 
I used to fly up and down to Edinburgh and you know be working all over the place so I said I'm going to give up work and we'll give it another go and that's when it worked um when she was about nine months old we started to plan our wedding so I thought I needed to get my eyebrows put back on again um and the lady I went to she had a little sign she had a little cabin like like I worked from and she had a little sign on the door saying I'm going to start doing training if you fancy a change of career to do microblading then let me know so I thought hmm <laughs> what's to lose <laughs> I didn't want to go back into an office I wanted a job that could work around, around my little one so yeah it all started from there had your eyebrows come back at that point or you had they they never no, come they, back no, they haven't grown back they they grow above and below where they're meant to be but not actually where they should be they're all over the place but they're very sparse very few and far um, between now do you want to explain a little bit about what microblading is so with microblading, you have a hand tool um, and you dip it into the ink pot and then you cut it into the brow. And so you draw it each individual line. However, through experience, I don't think that's the best way. Um, it's quite traumatic for the skin and it doesn't always hold. If your skin's not exactly right, the ink won't stay in the skin. So I started um, looking at other other methods which were better than that. Um, so I've trained with a machine now so I can do a powder brow and that works for the majority of people that will stay on their face which is where we want the eyebrows to be so, yeah. <laughs> so that works much better and that just implants using a tattoo machine um, and it implants the pigment but I work very very lightly so I work in layers uh, yes yeah, so it gives you a really natural fluffy looking brown but you can have a hair straight using the machine as well if people want that so is that how many sessions would that be over Generally two, because you, you never know how it's going to heal. Some people come back and their brows look brilliant from like when they left from the first session, but other times they can be gone completely. You just don't know. It depends how they look after them. It depends on their skin and medication. So I always say two appointments. Um, and then at the second appointment, we can either go darker or bigger or correct any bits that have faded or disappeared. Sometimes the tail of your eyebrow will disappear on the side that you sleep. Um, so we can sort all those bits out. Very occasionally, someone will need a third treatment, depending if they've changed colour or whatever at the second one, and then they might just need a third one, but not often. So what made you decide, you know, had you explored other options, what made you decide to look for somebody who could do microblading? Um, I didn't really know what was out there. When I first lost my eyebrows, I didn't worry because I was working with people that had seen me lose everything um it didn't bother me but then my contract ended and I was going to have to go for interviews so I was like I look really weird because I had no lashes and no brows I looked a bit like a baby mouse <laughs> it was it was very strange so I started doing a little bit of research and there weren't many people 17 years ago that did that sort of thing mm. and I found a doctor in Wimbledon who did tattooing of eyebrows um, I think it cost me about 800 pounds it was a lot of money yeah so she did literally just a black line with a tattoo machine and then it went from there I had a really bad experience where I went to a lady up she started doing them higher than the eyebrows I already had which was an interesting um way of doing it and then her alarm went off and she said sorry I've got to do the school run I'll be back in half an hour and she ran off and left me so I was sitting there with her dog <laughs> and one eyebrow so yeah, it's these, <laughs> these sort of experiences 
make me want to try and make it a better experience for other people. Yeah, and then it was I left them because she did them quite deep. So then I left them until we were getting married. But I just wanted them tidied up, and I found the lady and um, did my first initial training. So, so those tattooed ones, did you have? Did they just fade, or have you gone over those? Um, they've been gone over. The first ones have faded away. Uh, the second ones are still there. Um, my eyebrows now, I'm actually trying to get them removed so I can have them done again <laughs> properly because they go a bit grey over time and depending on the ink that's used and this is obviously old tattoo ink so it has gone a bit grey blue. So I'm getting them taken out. I've had five laser sessions and I'm going to do some saline removal on top of them just to get them off enough so I can go over them lightly. So as people can then see what the brows are like that I do because I can do them on my own face. <laughs> that's the idea anyway. Oh, what? So you'll do them on your I own? Point you. I'll yeah. see if I get on. Yeah. I don't want to start and then not be able to finish. That's the thing. Um, and my arm might ache and ache. So I, I don't know. We'll see. If not, I'll go to my, because I have advanced training. So I'll go and see her and see if she'll do them for me. Oh, gosh, yes. Still not as expensive as it was that first time when I went to Wimbledon. Blimey. That was so expensive. But that's where my business manager comes from as well, because you know that made all the difference to me uh, we're looking in the mirror and actually seeing a structure to your face it makes such a difference to confidence um, and it stops people staring at you as well um, yeah. my business mantra is it's not vanity it's normality and that's just what you want because you lose that sense of normality when you lose your hair and everything you, it's, there isn't a normal then you just feel uncomfortable or I did on the face of it that they're such a small part of your facial feature, aren't they? But actually, when you don't have them... Yeah, it's like an anchoring feature, isn't it, really? But it is important as well to make sure you check out your artist if you're thinking of getting them done, because I do removal, um, and some of the people that come in, their eyebrows they've had done, because they go on a Groupon voucher or something. It's horrific. Mm. Uh, um, or their models for, for training sessions, which is fine, because we all need to learn somehow and on someone but um some of the training people don't supervise properly and there's some real awful work even that they've had done yeah and I guess what you're also then able to offer is you know a huge amount of empathy and understanding for what your clients feel like having been in that very situation yourself where you you've lost your eyebrows I mean I love doing what I do but I had a lady come in and she walked in the gate she literally had her diagnosis three days previously she was rushing straight in for surgery um, because of the type of tumor she had and starting her chemo so she wanted to get her brows put on before she started chemo but she, it's not something she'd ever wanted to do mm. so she came in and she was shaking and she was terrified the poor woman was absolutely terrified but um when she left you could see the difference in the photos of her she was calm and comfortable and she kept saying so how long ago did you have it and what's happened in your life since and she was just like quizzing me and she sent a message she didn't even book her appointment with me she made her sister-in-law do it and she sent a message to her sister-in-law and she said for those couple of hours I actually felt normal and calm and she said it, it went into the next day so I've woken up this morning still feeling calm um, and not quite as terrified because Jonah grounded me and calmed me and I thought that's probably the best review I've ever had. What greater gift can you give 
to somebody than than that when they're when they've got all those you know fears and and anxieties about what's ahead of them terrifying and you know that's why I work from home because I think when you've got two days to sort everything out I mean you go to the hospital and and it's Monday and it's fine and you know you're going back to work the next day and then suddenly you're told well actually no you're going to have surgery on Wednesday it's like oh wow what we do now it's so much to sort out especially they've got small children and things Mm -hmm. so so I'd I'd open up and I you know see them in here of an evening or a Sunday she's you know if you haven't come on Sundays um thankfully my husband's quite understanding and he he knows what's going on so I mean I wouldn't do it for normal clients but if they've got their chemo coming up then it's important to at least get the first treatment done presumably they have to stop they can't have any more then until they've they've had that chemo chemotherapy affects their immune system so there is generally a time, there's one week in their cycle, depending what how they have it, where they're probably okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so she came back for her second appointment. Um, her medical team did her bloods and said, no, you're fine. You're fine to go. Um, so she came back and had her top up. Sometimes they have to wait. It depends on, the, on their regime, treatment regime. But you can have it in, in the middle of chemo if you, if you need to. Oh, and that's really good that then, you know, you're sort of working with, with that medical team yeah as well in terms of because uh, you know i'd like to explain to them as well how i work because i don't i'm not microblading those ladies i work very very gently when i do the vibrator they don't bleed um they very rarely even weep there's nothing really going on obviously it is opening the skin um but very very lightly i'm literally layering it bit by bit by bit so it doesn't damage the skin um, so the healing is dry healing and there's no no um, infection risk, really. Yeah. And given, you know, the trauma of all the medical intervention that they would have been through or that they are about to go through. That's really nice that you found that gentler way for them to regain their eyebrows. They just go to sleep, which is quite nice. Some don't. <laughs> <laughs> but there's one in particular who comes in the, in the door and just wants to go to sleep as soon as she gets here so I just work away happily while she snores <laughs> yeah but isn't that lovely that you've created that safe space that yeah she feels that's okay to to do that she hasn't been since I've had the heated blanket on the bed either so <laughs> oh, she'll, <laughs> she'll be snugged up <laughs> That was my my treat for my ladies over Christmas, just to get a heated blanket for the bed. <laughs> oh, lovely! <laughs> <laughs> Definitely sounds very appealing. <laughs> so recently, in in the last couple of years, you you've sort of moved on from eyebrows, haven't you? What are you What are you also including now? Well, while I was doing training and advanced training with eyebrows, um, I fell in love with skincare because getting menopausal as well your skin all changes so I've, I've sort of found a love for that I used to do little facials on the side but wasn't keen until I started seeing how it can affect your skin um with menopause and and chemotherapy treatments and um, so I found out I've got a newfound love for skincare and skin rejuvenation um but the main reason that I started on my permanent makeup journey was because I wanted to be able to do the areola once the ladies had the mastectomy or man had their mastectomy and the reconstruction, I can now put their their areola back on. So yes, I qualified as a medical tattooist back in June. Um, so not only can I do their areola tattooing, but where they have the reconstruction using their tummy or their back, 
they have a, a large expanse of white flesh. So I can now blend that into the normal colour um, using uh, a camouflage technique um, and also the white scar around the nipple and around the, the surgery site. So that can all be completely camouflaged away. So yeah, it, it makes such a difference. Obviously it's still there. You can obviously still see it, but it's not white. The ladies that, that I've spoken to when we've been doing the training sessions, um, the models have been saying, I, I don't really care about my nipple, but it's this white bit that shows out of my swimming costume. I can't take the kids swimming because everyone can see this white patch and they look at it. They don't mean to look at it, but in the gym as well. And yeah, so actually getting rid of that and knocking that whiteness off and putting an areola on, they feel much more confident. Um, there's one lady actually, she was playing golf all the time, but she said, I always have to sort of hide in the toilet and get, get changed. And the other women wonder why I'm doing it. She said, but they, they look and she said, I don't, I don't mean to be horrible. They just double look at it because it's, there's no nipple. It yeah, because it, yeah, it's just sort of human nature, isn't it, to to clock something that that isn't what you're used to seeing. Child of us as well, isn't it? Because a child would just stare openly, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> I know my daughter does. It's quite difficult at times, but um, yeah. So it just gives them back again that sense of normality, just having something there. So and I I love doing this. I absolutely love it. This is what I wanted to do five years ago. And yeah, on there. So, and doing the scar camouflage as well. If ladies or men have had like facelifts or breast surgery, they've had a reduction or something, or they've had an accident and they've got scars, self harm scars, anything like that that's white on the body, and I can camouflage it really simply, really quickly. Very effective. That's a, that's amazing, and just the fact that you can do that with that empathy and an understanding of the emotional side that's that's involved with all of that. I don't think I'll ever be a millionaire because I, I don't work on timings very well. I, <laughs> I always let them have the time that they need. But I think that's important as well. I don't think you can rush these things. And I'm doing it more for the feeling for, for those people as opposed to making lots of money. Quite often for Ariola, I won't charge anyway. I do free clinics. But I think, well, maybe I'll get my money back on the scar camouflage for um, facelifts and things like that but yeah that's the idea anyway when we find work that is so kind of heart-led and heart-focused it it often isn't about the money is it it's about the um I refer to it as the squidge that it gives yeah absolutely to see that and I I take part in the training courses now with the lady down in Margate who I trained with and so I get to see it over and over again I get to see the journey for the student and I get to see so many models just looking at themselves in the mirror. There's only a couple of the models haven't looked at themselves in over 10 years because they've had this expanse of whiteness and no areola there at all. And so you, you, the girls are doing it for them and then they won't look in the mirror. But when they do, they're running up to the mirror and like, like looking and trying to touch it. And Oh, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing feeling. I would never get tired of that feeling of a, a, a lady seeing her areola for the first time. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's good. So obviously this podcast is about sort of lessons from loss. So what would you, you know, what have been the, the main lessons that you've learned, either from your own experience of going through cancer and, you know, losing losing your hair and your eyebrows, but maybe what you've learned from being other women, other people go through that? I think it's made me personally look deeper within myself because I, I you know I'm still shy I haven't got much confidence but 
I'm better than I was. And you get to the stage, you think, well, it doesn't matter what people think. You know, look what I've been through. So it gives you an inner strength, I think, and more courage to to take that step outside your comfort zone and do stuff. Because life's too short. You know, it, it is too short. Um, and listening to the ladies, we always ask them, what's the best thing that's come out of your cancer journey? And and it's similar stuff, you know. It's, for me, it's like smelling the flowers. Now I'm waiting for the blossom to come because I just adore it. But the, the, the birds sing louder and the flowers smell stronger since I had cancer, which is just weird. Just You just don't pay attention to it normally. You take it for granted. And hopefully that's something that you can pass on to your daughter as well so that she can... You're always smelling things and listening to, to birds and things like that. So, yeah, I think I have, <laughs> especially with lockdown, walking through the orchards every day and just watching the world change as we, we sat still, didn't we? So... Um, yeah she really enjoyed that watching the world grow around her and then die off again and yeah she enjoyed that yeah oh it's a lovely thing to to pass on to her so if people would like to find out more about the work that you do how can they get in contact with you they can contact me via facebook or instagram so it's microblading and more by fiona on instagram and i think on facebook it's just microblading and more and you're based in Kent, aren't you? Yeah, Newington in Kent. Um, I've also got a studio that I can use in Kings Hill. That's easier for people as well. Um, that's mainly for scar kind of large, but I could do other stuff there as well. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story, particularly given that you said that quite shy and really, really appreciate, you know, coming and, and talking about something that is so personal no that's fine I know it it does help people one of my first ladies actually I'd been asked to do an interview um for a magazine it was like a mum's magazine that started out just before uh lockdown and um this lady phoned me and she said I, I was reading the magazine the doctor's surgery and I was reading her article she said and then I came out the doctor's surgery with my own diagnosis she said and I have to say I stole the magazine so I could come home and read it again and listen to your story she said and then then I phoned you to get my eyebrows done so she was my first lady who came um, before her chemo she was very young she was only 32 as well I think and she got two small children um so yeah and you know that's it if I can push myself outside my comfort zone and talk about it and write about it I know that it helps people and and that's that's why I'm here today absolutely and that's what I find you know that's the feedback that I get from people the comments that I get they'll listen to to an episode and and say oh yeah that that really helped that resonated or that reassured me or it's given me hope yeah it's it's such a good thing I think to to share our our experiences thank you so much Fiona oh, it's been lovely thank you Rachel Thank you, Fiona, for sharing your story. And thank you for the wonderful work that you do in helping people feel normal during what is a very challenging time. I hope it brings hope to anyone listening who may need it. And please do reach out to Fiona if you need support or to find out more about her work. I'd like to thank my network for their support in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. I so appreciate it. I'll be back soon with another lesson from Lost.